Then one of them, which was a lawyer, came to Jesus, tempting him and asking, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus answered and said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. This from Matthew 22 shows us that Jesus saw great emphasis upon the matter of love. There were over 600 laws the Jews were abiding by, doing their best to live according to, and yet Jesus, of all those over half a thousand of them, and narrowed it down just to two most important of them. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus had a great deal to say about the subject of love. Best known verse in all the Bible, John 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's from John chapter 3. Jesus said in John 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In the very next chapter, John 16, Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you that you Love one another as I have loved you, so you should love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And Jesus even taught we should love our enemies. In the last of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the good and on the bad. Sends his rain upon the just and the unjust. For if you love those that love you. What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do so? And if you greet only those who greet you, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors the same? Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And as Jesus taught about love so often, so frequently, so his disciples, by inspiration, wrote so much of the New Testament on that same subject. Well, the Apostle Paul will write in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become as sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have all prophecy. And though I 
give my body to be burned and have not love, I am nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave itself unseemly, is not rude. Love seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never fails. Now by its faith, hope, love, these three, the greatest of these, Paul says, the greatest of these, heaven says, is love. And again, Paul will teach that we should abide in love and continue in the same with thanksgiving, thus as followers of God in the Ephesian letter. He reminds us in the Colossian letter that we should put on the, as the elect of God, holy and beloved of him, a heart of mercy and kindness, humility and forgiveness, forbearing and forgiving one another, even as Christ, for God's sake, has forgiven us. Reminding us to put on above all of this love, which he says is the bond of perfection. When Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in the last of Galatians in chapter 5, contrasting the Spirit's fruit with the works of the flesh, which drag us down and keep us from the kingdom, he begins that list of the Spirit's fruit with love. And as Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 mentions those Christian graces every one of us should have, a grace is beginning with faith and virtue and knowledge and patience and perseverance. He ends that list with brotherly kindness and love. And as we just read together in 1 John chapter 4, if we know anything about God, we must know something about love because God is love. He has manifested his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As our propitiation, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And James will make the point in such wonderful language, in such wonderful logic, suggesting the fact that how can we possibly, how can we possibly say we love God, we've never seen him, and yet have no love for our fellow man, our brothers in Christ, whom we have seen. And these all are just a drop in the larger bucket of everything. Just the New Testament says, as one testament of two, on this subject of love. And yet having said all of that, uh, we sometimes still have questions about exactly what love is, what it looks like, what it means. Less so about others toward us and more so about us toward them. It's interesting the way it works. I have no difficulty telling you what your love for me should look like. I can define that in a heartbeat. But when I start thinking about what my love for you looks like, well then it gets more difficult to, to describe and and more awkward to navigate because after all, I've got my needs to think about. I have 
my wants and my likes and dislikes, my preferences. I've got to look out for number one after all. And so it's difficult for me to fit you into my schedule and love you, but you toward me, that's a different matter. And so what is love? Well, we might say it's more than a feeling, and we should already know that. Uh, that's the way most of the world thinks about love, as as a feeling you have that comes over you, sometimes, oftentimes, most times, against your will, out of the blue, when you least expect it, it was love at first sight. And if you fall into love like that, don't be surprised when you fall out of love like that, because a feeling you have is a feeling you can lose. A feeling that just jumps into you can just as easily jump out of you. And even though so much of our culture, the music and the movies today, idealize this feeling of love, we realize that the passages in the scriptures we've just considered, they deal with something deeper than just that. Because have you, have you, as you've learned, feelings come and go. Feelings are those things you have very little control over. Uh, some days you feel better than others. Some days you feel in a better mood than others. Some days everything seems bright and sunny and perfect. And other days things seems, uh, seem dark and dismal and depressing. Feelings come and go. And if my love for you, your love for me, is based upon nothing but feeling... It's going to be a roller coaster ride the rest of the way through this life. When Jesus does not just encourage or advise, but commands that we love one another as he's loved us, he has in mind much more than just how we feel about one another. And also love is more than just what we do for one another. Now, you can't separate love when opportunity presents itself with actions performed, but just the acts themselves aren't necessarily love. You can do what seem to be loving things completely separated from any loving purpose or decision or desire. No, somewhere between those two, a feeling and action, there is a wonderful sweet spot uh, the Bible describes as love. It's much like, different subject, but the same principle, it's much like repentance. Same principle, I said, but a completely different subject. But what is repentance? Is it being sorry? Well, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. You can be sorry and not repent. Is it doing better? Well, yes, but you can do better and never really change your mind about it. But that's part of it. You need to do better. Then what is repentance? It's the decision. It's the decision out of sorrow to do better. And that decision itself is repentance. It's born of godly sorrow and presents itself in a changed life. What is love? Well, it's often connected with our feelings, which come and go, 
And it must always, when opportunity presents itself, be connected with those things we do for those around us. But love itself is the decision. The decision to put the needs of others ahead of the needs of yourself. The best Bible synonym for love is unselfishness. If you really want to know what love is in the Bible, just look at the passages we read, not so much about our dealings and relationships among ourselves, but about God's relationship with us. You really want to see what love looks like, don't look in the mirror, but look in the Bible at the God that you worship. Why is John 3.16 the best known verse in the Bible? Well, because it... It speaks of that which all of us need, want, long for. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You'll be hard pressed to find a better Bible definition of love than that. God loved us, yes. How much so? So much so that he gave. He gave what? The least of himself? No, the best and most of himself. He gave his only begotten son. For who? For you and for me. For those deserving? No, for those not deserving. For those who can merit and pay it back? No, for those who can't possibly do either of those things. His love is seen in his grace, his mercy expressed to us in Jesus Christ. That decision God made to put us in a place we didn't deserve. First place in terms of salvation, ahead of the angels even. At great cost and sacrifice to himself, of course, in Jesus Christ and his death. You want to see love, look at the cross, look at Christ, look at God who gave his son. Look at what heaven gave to you. And then you want to see what God expects of us is to mirror that in our own lives. Now, we just looked at a couple of passages a moment ago, but let's put them back in our mind again. The one where Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you should love one another. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's John 16. One chapter before John 15, Jesus says of himself, about himself, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now you put those together, side by side, and you see and understand why this commandment of love that Christ is expecting his disciples, you and me, to have. Why it is a new commandment. It's a new commandment in that it is mirrored after an example we finally have that we've always longed to see. What is true love? Well, look at the cross. You see it. What is true love? Well, 
consider the communion service we just had. Why did we commemorate, as we do every Lord's Day, the death of our Savior on the cross? Why remember that? Why never forget that? Because that's true love. God gave himself and his son for us when we didn't deserve it, knowing we could never pay it back. And why? Not because we're so lovable, because we're not. But because God himself is love. And he chose, he decided, in his great scheme of redemption before the world ever began, to pay the ultimate price for us at his own expense, because of his love for us. Yes, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Greater love hath no man than this. A man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, that's the new commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. So what does that mean in terms of our relationships? Of our loving and thus getting along together? As people at large, as the brethren of our Lord's church, in our families, what does it mean to love one another? Well, it must mean something. The story is told that John the Apostle, at the very end of his life, after all the apostles had passed away in death as martyrs, and John now is the only one left standing, as it were, he would be brought into a community of believers for the worship services uh, there at Ephesus and he'd come in with his cane and at the end of a service he'd be asked to say a few words and oftentimes he'd get up and stand on his cane and simply say these three words love one another and sit down what does that mean? On a personal note, I remember just a few years ago now when my own father passed away in our home. He'd been there for several months under hospice care and his end had finally just about come. My older sister was there and my younger brother, the three of us, around the bedside and among the last things he ever spoke were words in response to my sister's question Dad, is there anything you'd like to say to us? And he simply said those same three words. Love one another. What does that mean? Love one another. Well, we saw a while ago it means more than just how you feel. And it does mean more than just what you do. But I'll add one more thing that is not. If you define love by what it means to you, if you define love by how it affects you, it's not love you're talking about. So many people have hurt so many other people because they do things because they want the result they want. They want what they have to have. And they 
repurpose the idea. They redefine the word. They misunderstand the whole concept by saying, it's love. I love you. That's why I had to destroy you. That's why I had to ruin you. That's why I did what I did. I love you. When all they wanted all along was for them to feel better about themselves. Love is not about you. It's about the object of the one loved. It's not for what benefits you most. It's for what's best for the other. And I think I know what John meant when he said all those centuries back, love one another. But I do know for sure what my own father meant when he told the three of us, love one another. Now, I don't know about your family situation. Uh, we all come from different places. Uh, we come from different families, different backgrounds. Uh, we've always been a wonderfully united family. I can't think of many scraps that meant anything at all over the years. But I know what Dad meant. He meant when he's not around any longer. Each of us put the other ahead of the self. Each of you go out of your way to make sure the other has what they need. Don't be scrapping for your own. Put the others first. And I'm thankful to say that has been the case. But that's what it meant, love one another. It didn't just mean say nice things to each other. It didn't just mean do nice things for each other. It meant decide to put their needs ahead of your own. And uh, let me just tell you, that's exactly what the New Testament is teaching all of us. We must learn to put the needs of others ahead of the needs of ourselves. Now, the practical result of this is a unity, a growth, an exuberance of spirit, which is hard to even measure or imagine. The opposite of that is division and chaos and all kinds of turmoil. And most times, most of us are caught somewhere in between. Hopefully more toward the peace and less toward the chaos. But can you imagine a world... Well, perhaps that's too big to imagine. Can you imagine a nation? Yeah, perhaps that's still too big to imagine. Imagine a culture. Uh, even that's too big. Imagine this congregation. Just us. Just us. Where all of us were struggling our best, falling over each other to make sure that the other had their way that the needs of others were always put ahead of the needs of self. Can you imagine what could be done with a spirit like that that exuded from all of us on all matters of opinion and preference and judgment? Oh, what a world of difference that would make. And is that anything other than what we've learned from Jesus? Is that not the exact same thing we learn from God who loved the world and gave his only son? If God can give his son for us, 
what should we not be able to give for one another? I know we're in the midst of February, which among other things is the month of love and Cupid and candy and romance. And love is in the air. We talk about it, we sing about it, we extol it, we, we like to imagine it, we dream about it, we uh, like to spend our times dreamily wondering about the wonders of love. It's a many-splendored thing, after all. It's what the world needs now. Love, sweet love. But what if the world looked at us? As Jesus suggested in John 16, by this the world shall know that I have sent you. What if the world looked at us and said, now we know what love looks like. We've been wrong all along. It's not this mushy feeling. It's not uh, these, these meaningless actions. It is a decision that these folks are making to put the needs of others ahead of their own needs. Uh, to go out of their way to serve each other and work with, beside, and for each other and to truly love each other. Oh, a church like that make a difference. A church like that uh, speaks more than the marquee out front ever will or what the sermons we preach ever say or what the articles we might write ever suggest. The world sees more of what we do than what we ever say. And so I would encourage all of us, as John said, as my own dad said, love one another. Uh, my friend, this morning, if you're outside of Christ, love is in the Lord. Have you ever, because of God's love, come to Christ and obeyed the gospel, become a Christian? God loves you after all. Christ died for you because of that love. Are you a child of God? Or perhaps as a Christian, you've wandered away from his love and need to come back. He still loves you. You need to come back to him. But if you need to come, come now as together we stand and sing.